Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Our Heavenly Father, we've been on a journey this whole year, starting with the very first Sunday of the year. We looked into a foundational passage, words, red letter words from Jesus himself that set the tone for all we would do. And now this Sunday, Father, we're we're coming to the end of that year-long study, red letter living. May it go on for all the rest of our life. And Father, we ask your blessing upon this message today and the particular red letters that we will look at. For they came right from the mouth of your son, Jesus. They were inspired by your own Holy Spirit. And we pray that he who inspired them to begin with might apply them to our lives today. Anoint my lips with his words that we might be blessed and changed. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today it's true. Some of you are saying, wow, this is about the longest sermon series we've ever been in. And others of you are saying, it's like it just started. You're really quitting? We're done? After only, what, 50 weeks maybe? We had a few off in there. But yes, today we're coming to the last message in this series of messages called Red Letter Living. And let me just ask here, how many of you have been living red letter lives this year? How many of you have been trying to? Ah, thank you. I always have to do that. I always have to say trying to. Because that's what we're doing, right? We're not pulling off much of this stuff because I think almost every one of us still has a fallen human nature. And that fallen human nature comes into play and just messes us up lots of times. So we have to say we're trying, we're seeking, we're yielding and hoping really and praying. But isn't it good to have something to pray and hope about? To know what Jesus actually expects? and how he has taught us that we can manage our way through this fallen world and and maybe in 46 or 47 different ways. So review this series of messages as fast as possible. I'm going to get them into some sort of at least an iBook, e-book form that you can have them on your devices, and we all together can review them and just say, these are the words of Jesus. Or just open up your Bible if you have that red letter edition and read the red words frequently. Say, these are the things my Savior actually said. These are the things he wants me to especially know. And just keep that going. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. The Holy Spirit has even come to remind us of everything that Jesus has said. So here we go, our final passage. And in this passage, it re- is revealed a, what I'm calling a life purpose. 
a life purpose like no other. If we're going to define ourselves to somebody else, say, what's your purpose in life? How, how will you see your mission, your purpose, your calling, your, your reason to be? What would we say? Well, Jesus is going to share an answer to that question for us that is just profound. It's a life purpose like nothing else. Nothing else can compare to it. And it's a life purpose that will help provide that rock-solid foundation for our lives that Jesus said his words would put into us when we started this series. That's what we looked at. Jesus said that if we hear his words and put them into practice, our life will have a rock-solid quality to it, and, and it's noticeable in a world where everything is pretty shaky and people are, are regularly looking for something to hold on to and to secure them. So this scripture, this passage today, is going to help us just add to that rock-solid foundation that helps us overcome all the storms of life, because they will come. Now, the passage of the day... The red letter passage is contained in a larger passage of scripture that I want us to read so you can see just how it flows together. And this larger passage of scripture records the third and final temptation that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. Remember right after he was baptized, the spirit of God drove him into the wilderness and began to exercise the, the kind of control that the Spirit would want to exercise over every one of us. Drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by the devil himself. He fasted, he prayed, and he was tested. What we're going to look at, what we're going to read here this morning is the third of three temptations. It goes like this, found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 to 11. It says, the devil took him, that is Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. I want you to notice, Jesus did not say you can't. The devil said, I will. And the truth is, he could. The Bible calls him at times the, the prince of the power of the air, that the kingdom of the world is, is under you know, his influence. There's a lot that the devil can give to people. And here's what he offered Jesus. All the kingdoms of the world, with all of their glory, all this I will give you, he said, if, if you bow down, and worship me. Jesus said to him, and I'm sure very quickly and very emphatically, there's an exclamation point in my Bible, away from me, Satan. Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus was familiar with this being from, from near the beginning of time. Before man was created, the angels had been brought into being. Get away from me, Satan, for it is written. There's power in the word of God. Jesus was relying upon it. It was written, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, these words, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God. Can't do it, Satan. 
The word of God prohibits it, and I am committed to the word of my heavenly Father. It says, and then the devil left him. Have you ever experienced the devil just leaving you? He puts a thought in your mind, and you just rebuke it. You refuse it. You want nothing to do with it, and you sense that he just left. The Bible tells us he has to at certain times. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee. He's got to. And he did. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. That's a marvelous story. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, all of this taking place. The devil can be overcome. want you to see that. And in your time of, of, of real stress, 40 days of fasting, angels will come. God himself will attend you and assist you. So that's the, that's the larger passage. Now, out of that passage, we're going to pick out that one phrase. Today's red letter scripture. It's the 10th verse of Matthew 4. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is going to be our closing exhortation from the Lord Jesus after a whole year of looking at, at many of them. And it reveals, as I said, a life purpose like no other. Why do I exist? Why do we exist? Why are we here? Jesus would say, you're here to worship the Lord your God. To worship the Lord your God and to serve him, that is, devote yourself to him only. Jesus was actually stating right here at the beginning of his earthly ministry, his own life purpose, telling Satan himself, this is why I'm here, not to serve you, not to worship you, not to receive from you all the good things you think you can give me, I am here. My motivation, the orientation of my life is to worship the Lord my God and to serve him only. It's not any big jump to say, and Jesus is saying that's the attitude we ought to have too, right? For anyone who identifies with him down through all the years, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do we got that? Should I just close in prayer? <laughs> Shouldn't that do it? We, we just state it. This is what our job is. This is our life focus. This is our life purpose. This is our orientation. This was Jesus, and Jesus pulled it off just marvelously. So what more do we need? We, we've got our final message, and, and yet I, there's a problem coming up here that we need to address. Because, see, we're not Jesus. And that will become apparent if it hasn't already as we discuss some things this morning. But look at this, our two-fold red-letter life purpose. The first is worship the Lord your God. The second part of it is serve him only. I thought it might be helpful to go through just a little bit of a, a definition here of this little life purpose statement. Worship. Worship. Look at all the things we have there. To adore to adore, to bow down before, to be in awe of. Nothing else like that I've ever seen, says the awed person. 
to attribute ultimate worth to. Nothing is more valuable, nothing is worth more than this object of my worship. All of that involved. When we come Sunday morning to a worship service, we're coming to a place where where we can adore our God. We can bow down before him. We can be in awe of him. We can attribute ultimate worth to him. Nothing else we have in this world compares to him as far as its worth. And then serve, to obey, to assist, to cooperate with, to bring benefit, to subordinate yourself to. That's what it means to serve. And to serve God is an awesome thing to direct all that activity. You see, in his rebuke to the devil, in his refusal of the devil's offer, Jesus was powerfully stating, demonstrating, that our genuine worship and our ultimate service belong to God alone. It's a big deal. It's the central deal. It's at the heart of red-letter living. That's why I saved this lesson for last. And it's because of what I'm calling today a basic human reality. How many humans we got in here? I like to do that just to see if you're even casually following along. And, and if you're willing to involve yourself a little bit in some action, or if you're just sitting on your hands, or you're looking at your watch like, gee, well, he's moving along pretty good here. So human beings, we got a bunch of you? That's good. Here is a basic human reality. This is true of me. It's true of you. It's true of every human being you'll ever run into who's a, at least a marginally functional one. Now, this reality, both Jesus and Satan knew well. Jesus knew about this reality, and Satan knew about this reality. Human beings, here's the first part of it, human beings are compulsive worshipers. They are worshipers by nature. It's built right into their system. They are worshipers by nature. Nature. They just look for something to attribute worth to. Something that they can link to and feel special themselves. Because there's something bigger and better and greater and more beautiful than they themselves. And we just love to find something we can link ourselves to and let some of that goodness just kind of get attached to us. Let some of that specialness just flow over onto us and make us feel special. We've been built to feel inadequate. And to feel there's a need. There's a need to bow before something that will make us feel awesome. Because we're connected to something awesome. Human beings are compulsive worshipers. They're worshipers by nature and by practice. They actually do it. They worship stuff. They look for stuff that has worth 
that makes them feel better to just be attached to it. We could go through a long, long list of things today, but your mind can, can fill in those blanks. The things people worship, the things they look to attach themselves to to make themselves feel more worthy. Now here's the second thing. Human beings inevitably give themselves to the service of the person or thing that they worship. If you really worship it, you just want to give yourself to it. You want to be part of it. You want to be involved somehow. And the thing that you're worshiping, the person that you are worshiping, your wish is my command. We just give ourselves. It's a natural response to give ourselves in service to the thing that we value so highly. It's just part of our our nature. You see, after all, that's the way God made us in the beginning, isn't it? Bible tells us in Genesis, he created man in his own image with an ability to apprehend the goodness and greatness of God. From the very beginning, man was made capable of doing that, to apprehend the goodness and the greatness of God. Man was given an ability to apprehend not only God's image and greatness, but man was then tasked with tending the Garden of Eden and watching over all the life that moved upon the earth. You see this incredible world God has made, the one who is awesome in goodness and greatness, and I am part of serving him as I watch over it. The Bible says God walked with man in the cool of the evening, And man was delighted with his creator's company. Serving God was not only inevitable, it was delightful. Let that sink in. Serving God, your wish is my command, was not only inevitable, he's the one I worship and serving him is is just like a natural process, Not only inevitable, like I have to, I will, it's automatic, but it was delightful. Delightful. Man without his worship of God and his service for God would not be man at all. At least not the man as God created him to be. So, This morning, let's just think for a moment. Do you view yourself that way? Do you view yourself as a compulsive worshiper? Do we have any compulsive shoppers in here? If there's a sale, you're already in the car. You read the first two lines, and while your wife or husband's still reading the rest of it, you're warming up the engine. Compulsive shopper. Well, praise God if you're not. You've been delivered from a a certain kind of problem. But do you view yourself as a compulsive worshiper? Are you forever finding yourself lifted up by something great and good that you've run into? 
Are you one who inevitably winds up serving the thing or the one that you have chosen to worship? You form attachments. Now keep in mind, we can also have a a worship with a capital W and we can have a worship with a little w. You, You know, those things that we just really treasure, those things that are really important, those things that really do inspire us, those things that really do lift us up, those things that really do seem to have good and and admirable qualities and and we, we want to get involved with that. We want to be linked to that. And as a result, we volunteer to help with that. Serving that which we have been attached or attracted to. That's part of being a human being. Have you yourself concluded that life is an endless search and that many people find it to be an endless search for something that you can throw yourself into? And have you discovered that once you finally find it, you find yourself almost worshiping it? It becomes the reason you're here in your mind. It becomes something that is just so, so powerful, so good, so meaningful. It gives your life a purpose. And so you, you look for that. You look for that. People look for that. And they throw themselves into things. See, those are serious questions. What makes you feel better about yourself? Is there anything in this world that the success of it or them makes you feel better about yourself? You're so linked to them that when they do good, you feel great. When they do bad, you feel not so great. That's kind of a worship service sort of dynamic going on there. You see, those are serious questions that Adam and Eve originally never had to face. You see, because we human beings today are a far cry from the beings that God originally placed in the garden, aren't we? Jesus was pointing the people of his day back to an ancient reality wasn't he? See, these red-letter words at this point of his point us back to that very time when this basic human reality worked automatically. It just worked automatically to place man in the very relationship with God that God desired. It was all good, and it needed no exhortation from the Almighty to remind man to continue it. We kind of talk lightheartedly at various times about how long do you think Adam and Eve were in the garden before they blew it? You know, sometimes it's like God created them in the morning and by the evening it was done. And you think, gee, what chance do we have? We give our lives to Christ and it's like, how long is that going to last? Sometimes we fantasize maybe they lived a long, long time. They just didn't have any children yet. But they lived a long, long time in the garden, enjoying God and fellowship and being fully human and being a full blessing to their creator. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just tells us they didn't stay in their original state. Sin entered into the world. And sin led man to what I'm calling today a basic human 
calamity, a real problem that befell man. The Apostle Paul pointed out in his letter to the Romans that men worship and serve created things rather than the creator himself. People don't forget how to worship. That's built right into us. We've got to link ourselves to something good and great. We've got to link ourselves to something that lifts us up. We've got to link ourselves because we know that we are not the top of the heap. But if we can be linked to whatever is on the top of the heap, it just makes us feel like, ah, so much better. And so once sin entered into the world, and men kind of lost some of the knowledge of God, and lost the experience of working with God, and lost the experience of understanding the things of God, they had to, they had to deal with that worship urge somehow, lest they feel depressed and, and just discouraged all the time. And so Paul says this in Romans 1.25. He says, they, meaning the people in the past, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Who do you think helped them? Think the devil was still around? Satan? I mean, he was still around in Jesus' day, and he was in Adam and Eve's day. He's been around the whole time. He exchanged the truth of God for a lie in the Garden of Eden and handed it to them, and they accepted that exchange. Human beings... They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped. See, they didn't stop being compulsive worshippers. You'd have to stop being human. You'd have to be dead. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and they served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. That's Paul saying, the only one who's worthy of worship. But they exchange that truth, that God is the only one worthy of worship, that God is even a good God, that God is even a wise God, that God even knows about you, that God's even an available God, that God is any of the 30 attributes we've discovered about God that we review all the time for ourselves. They just traded all that truth in for garbage. And who wants to worship a garbage God? A God who doesn't care, a God who doesn't know, a God who's not actually personal, a God who's just sort of a force in the universe. Who, who wants to wor worship something like that? But you've got to worship something because you're a human being made for worship, and so they worship created things. And probably everybody had his own recommendation to others about what you can get allied with that will make you feel great. I used to feel great being a fan of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I have learned not to worship or to put any of my anticipation in a professional football team, thanks to them. You see, they have helped me exchange a lie with truth. No football team, 
that you might be a fan of, no sports team, no singer, no celebrity, nobody else, nobody that's considered great in this world, if you link yourself to them, the truth of it is they can't make you feel great. It's a lie. And even if you're convincing yourself you're somehow linked to them and their success is making you feel successful, the time will come when their success is gone and then what about you? You're as woe-be-gone as they are. And so over the last few years, it's been helpful in my life to have that lie exchanged for a truth. And I can watch them play almost casually. And if they win, eh, that's good. They've never won two in a row now for years. See, what are the things that, 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 you, that you link yourself to and kind of feel great when it's great? It could be a person. Wives, are you still convincing yourself your husband is flawless and great? Have you been married more than a week? You link yourself. The old line, he worships the ground she walks on. He is so in love with her and so committed to her that anywhere her foot touches the ground, that dirt becomes special. He might even take a little jar of it home with him. (laughs) My love touched this. And when I touch it, I'm touching her. See, how silly is that? How many people, though, try to find their, their meaning in something like that? Could be your job. It could be all kinds of things. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie that any created thing can give you a proper and fulfilling response to your compulsive desire to worship. Only God can fulfill that in you. Only God is worthy of such an offering of yourself. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, though. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And so we see here, sin introduced a whole new set of possibilities. Without even knowing that they were bowing themselves down in worship to one who would usurp God's place in their lives, way, way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve bowed down. They didn't realize what was going on. They just got a good deal, and they accepted it. And they bowed down and made Satan the one who would call the shots in their life. And they didn't initially even understand they were replacing the good and lovely and wonderful creator with this created being who is now telling them how things ought to be and how things ought to go. And they believed the lie, and they acted upon it, And as a result, something horrible happened. You see, blinded by Satan's beauty and his seeming generosity, they became his servants. And the entire human race followed after them. But the Bible tells us the truth of it is Satan is a deceiver. And he's a destroyer. He's not worthy of worship or service. He has led mankind astray. 
Adam and Eve were not just thrown out of the God-given garden, they were also personally corrupted. Formed within them was a sense of independence that thought itself capable of finding new sources of satisfaction, new efforts in which their life purpose could be discovered. Their own son, Cain. He rose up and killed his brother Abel over a worship dispute. How dare God tell me what is appropriate worship and what is not? What do you mean, how dare God? Who knows about worship? Who knows about what is appropriate? Who knows about what man is expected to do in this world created by a perfect God? But that, that inner sense of rebellion, that inner sense of independence, that inner sense that says, I'm going to decide who I link myself to. How dare God tell me what is appropriate worship and what is not? And in doing so, Cain demonstrated that he himself had become his own object of worship and service. I will decide. I will create a world that will bring me satisfaction and joy. I will take charge of what where my life goes and what I do. And I am more than capable of, of creating an environment where I can feel blessed and fulfilled. Well, that was Cain. Thousands of years rolled by. God intervened in the great flood in Noah's day. And yet mankind's fallen, corrupted nature survived the flood. All human beings were wiped down. All animal life was wiped down, except there was eight of them in that solid boat. And guess what? That fallen nature safely kept in their hearts, in their DNA, if you will, survived, survived the terrible floodwaters as they were safely in the ark. And when they came out the, the door a year later, they brought with them the same fallen human condition that they entered the ark with. Centuries more passed. God raised up a people from among all the earth's people to be his own, and he raised up Moses, whom we sang about, to lead them out of bondage and to lay out for them the laws and the practices by which a corrupt people could be made right with God. It was Moses who wrote the words that Jesus quoted to Satan that day in the wilderness. Those red-letter words, Satan, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Moses wrote that when the whole structure for the nation of Israel was being put down in print. Here's what God desires. Here's what God wants. Here's how you can show and how can direct that worship feeling that is almost a, a compulsion of yours. 
Here's the proper way. Here's the proper person. The creator of all. Here's how he can be celebrated. Here's how you can be linked to him. Here's how you can be his people identified with him. All of these ways you will be worshiping God. The people around you will know that you worship the Lord our God and you serve him only. Is all put down. All laid out. But centuries of time have demonstrated that simply making that statement, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, simply making that statement does by no means guarantee its fulfillment. Man might desire to obey, but his fallen nature generally keeps him from it. And so the day came when Jesus himself revealed the rest of the story to the Pharisee Nicodemus, found in John chapter 3. Verse 3, Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again. See, the people went into the ark and they came out of the ark and they were not spiritually changed. They had been living a a lifestyle under Noah's leadership that was righteous in God's eyes, that was good compared to the wickedness and the evil and the violence that filled all the rest of the world. But basically they went into that ark as eight flawed people with sinful, fallen human natures inside each one of them and they walked out of that ark as eight flawed people. Just back to the back to the battle. And so years and years later, Jesus explaining this to a teacher of the Jews, Nicodemus, a Pharisee of some repute, he said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, that means completely changed internally, born of the Spirit of God himself, he cannot see. That is, he cannot enter in and experience the life of the kingdom. It just can't happen. Man in his natural state will almost every single time find something to worship other than God. You see... That's the condition of men. And so I listed today the born-again believer's quandary. Because see, everyone, almost every one of us, I can't speak for all of us, but almost every one of us has entered into, as it were, the ark of Christ's salvation. He says, come unto me. I will give you rest. He says to Nicodemus, through this process, you will be born again. There'll be a spirit life started in you that you didn't have before. And when we walk into, as it were, the ark of salvation, the ark where the Holy Spirit begins to reconstruct us from the inside out, and he puts new life in us, when we walk out of that ark, that salvation experience, We are changed. We are different. And that sets up what we call here the born-again believer's quandary, a puzzle, a problem, a question. 
You see, if all of us who are born again, all of us who's given our lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts, our old nature worships and serves anything but God. Our old nature never gets converted. Wouldn't you like to change it? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be great if the old nature could just fall on its knees and say, oh God, forgive me, I've been leading this human being astray. I want to be what you originally designed the nature of man to be. But it never happens. It never happens. The old nature worships and serves anything but God. It is forever finding earthly things to be worthy of its full attention and adoration. Isn't it amazing what human beings will discover? Sometimes little children come in with brand new discoveries, their eyes alight, and it's like, this changes my whole life. And you know it's not going to change their whole life at all. It's just a thing. It'll pass away. It's snowing. You know, it's a, isn't it beautiful when they reach out to grab a little bit of it and it melts right on the palm of their hand? And what they were delighted in for a second is just evaporated. It's gone. It's no longer that pretty thing. But the old nature says there's got to be something. There's got to be something. Keep looking. Keep looking. It certainly is not God. We've written him off a long time ago. We don't even believe he exists. It's just a book of nonsense that uses his name. That's the old nature. And every one of us as believers have that old nature in us. Have you ever heard it bugging you? Has your old nature ever suggested something that you, part of you can say, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound godly. That doesn't sound spiritual. But it's a sound, it's a voice, it's a suggestion. Paul says, why do I want to do good stuff and I do bad stuff? He says, there's something in me that promotes that. We're calling it the old nature. Well, that's, that's true. Unbelievers only have the old nature. That's their whole nature. But for a believer... The old nature worships and serves anything but God, but the new nature given to us by the Spirit of God, the new nature recognizes, worships, and serves nothing but God. It recognizes that no earthly thing is worthy of the believer's full attention and adoration. And so it sets up an internal battle. It must be confronted, and it must be won. Thus, Jesus' exhortation, worship the Lord your God. Nothing else on the list should be on the list. So start erasing pretty quick. Oh, I love this, I love that, I count on this, I feel so good when. Just erase all of that until you almost feel the emptiness of saying, well, what's life for now? I just erased everything that I was getting some thrill out of. And then write G-O-D. He is what I worship. 
He is what I look to for my satisfaction, for my salvation, for my growth, for my development, for my purpose, for all of these things. I'm looking to him and not to any of these. Worship the Lord your God, Jesus says, and serve him. You want to exhaust yourself in in doing some good works and just feeling like your life is making a difference in this world? Well, make a difference serving God. And that can mean a whole bunch of things. Adam and Eve were serving God by just taking care of the animals and picking the fruit when it was ready to be picked. We can serve God by just taking care of the business around us and this world itself. Allow nothing else and no one else to fill your heart with awe and wonder, with reverence and devotion. Those things belong only to God. And so how can we do that? Well, we just follow. We have here an infallible battle plan. Works every time. And here we end with the words we started with 12 months ago. Matthew 7, 40, or 24, the last words Jesus said pretty much of the great Sermon on the Mount, he says, everyone, this is your battle plan. Everyone who hears these words of mine, we even told you read the Gospels out loud so you're hearing them. Remember that? Read through the Gospel of Mark, all the red letters, out loud so you hear them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a man who built his house on the rock. You'll win the battle with the flesh way more times than you lose it because the words of Jesus challenge the flesh all the time. Every time there's some fleshly thought, some fleshly idea, the Holy Spirit can remind us of a teaching of Jesus that counteracts that thought and that suggestion. Let his words defeat the flesh. And then Paul says, of course, Galatians 5.16, a verse we use a lot, live by the Spirit. See, it's the Spirit who reminds us of the words of Jesus. Live by the Spirit, Paul says, and you will not gratify the desires of that sinful nature. Even though it still calls out to you to worship the wrong stuff. Even though it suggests to you that you serve the wrong things. You live by the Spirit and that voice of the flesh will not be followed. And after a while, you won't even hear it so much. Just believe me on that. So here's our final thought. Quit with this. To give ourselves to the worship of God and to wholeheartedly serve the God we worship is indeed a life purpose like no other. It is the one Jesus himself embraced and taught. Our Heavenly Father, you sent your Son with words of wisdom on his lips. Words of instruction. Words that he himself demonstrated the value of by living them out in this fallen world. Father, our world is no more fallen than his was. We have a fallen nature and he didn't. But he is telling us that that fallen nature within us can be squelched, can be overcome, can be defeated by the very words of God he spoke. 
and by the very Spirit of God who comes to strengthen us and empower us and to just keep moving us on the path of righteousness. So, Father, bless. Bless this time today. Bless these words we've spent a year examining. And may we truly be, as a result, more and more faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. For we ask it now in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.